And pray with me. God, we thank you. Thank you for your presence among us. Not only have you come to us yourself in the person of Jesus Christ, you come to us in your word. God, as we open up your word this morning, we pray that you would open us up to you. God, help us to be honest. Help us to be open. Help us to be vulnerable before you. Help us be willing to allow you to speak to those deep places within us of longing, of fear, those places of shame and guilt, those places of of joy. God, we need you to speak to us. Speak to us your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We are in the first week of Advent And this Advent, what we are going to do is we are going to go through um, the lectionary texts. So the lectionary text, it follows the church calendar, follows the church year, uh, and it gives us readings, readings from the Old Testament, from the New Testament epistles, gives us readings from Psalms, it gives us uh, readings from the gospel messages. So this this year, we are going to look at uh, the Old Testament readings, and usually around this time of Advent, they are the words of prophecy. So this Advent, we are looking at the words of prophecy in the book of Isaiah. So these next few weeks in Advent, we will be going through Isaiah, these selected lectionary texts, looking at uh, the prophecies given to us of Christ, of a Messiah coming to be with us. So this week, we are looking at Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And if you're familiar with the book of Isaiah, you'll know that um, it's, a, it's a dark book. It's a book of, of honesty of where the people of Israel are at. But there are instances and there are glimpses of hope. One of the, uh, such passages is the one we're looking at this morning, Isaiah 2, verses 1 through 5. A passage of hope. So I invite you to read along. In your Bibles or the words on the screen. Isaiah chapter 2 verses 1 through 5. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. 
Advent. Advent. Who knows what Advent is? What does Advent mean? Yeah, Jenny. Yeah, we're waiting for Christmas. Yeah, the, the, the literal meaning, or I guess the translated meaning of this, this Latin word is, is coming. Coming. Advent. In Advent, we look back and we remember the Lord's first coming. How God himself came to us as a babe through Mary who was laid in a feeding trough. And the angels came around and they rejoiced and they sang because this is God's beloved Son. Advent is a time to, to look back and to remember and to prepare ourselves to celebrate this coming. But it's, it's more than that. Because the word means coming. Advent is, is coming. It is not just looking back. Advent is a looking forward. Looking ahead to the second time when Christ will come. Not as a baby, but as a triumphant king. When Christ will come to set everything right. Where he will take the, this, this brokenness, our lives that are just shattered in pieces, how the Lord will come back and he will make a, a beautiful mosaic out of the mess that we've made. Now, how many of you know today that something about this world just isn't right? Do I have to tell you that something in this world isn't right? Oh, the brokenness, the conflicted relationships, the killing, uh, the hatred. It's hard to miss that there is something wrong with the world. Even those things that we are given that are supposed to be beautiful become corrupt. They themselves become broken. Has anybody here been watching the World Cup? Yeah? All right. World Cup, yes. So the World Cup is uh, this soccer tournament that happens every four years. It's kind of like the vision that we are given in today's Today's passage, Isaiah's vision, where there are uh, the teams, teams from uh, the top 32 countries. They come together with fans all over the world. They come together into one place to play matches for one month, a span of a month they are competing to see who the top team in the world is. And this is a beautiful picture of what life could be like when we set aside our destructive ways, our selfish ways. This is when people from all over the world, like our, our Isaiah passage, come streaming into the host country where this host culture is elevated and it's celebrated. And people put aside their differences and they come together as a united soccer base. It's really, it's a, it's a beautiful time. They celebrate what's called the beautiful game. This is the world's game. It's a picture of hope and it's a picture of peace. It's a picture of, of what things could be. Well, sadly though, Sadly, this year there is a lot of controversy in the World Cup. Well, the host nation of Qatar, it's claimed that they, they won the bid to host this year's World Cup 
um, only because they bribed the, uh, the governing officials. They bribed those who are, who are doing uh, the voting. Back in 2010 is when they voted. So they won this through bribes, it's claimed. Back in 2010, now it's, it's 2022. So they have a span of 12 years to get this country ready to host one of the largest tournaments in the world. And this country is about the size of Connecticut. So it's small. And they need infrastructure. So they need to build seven new stadiums in this country. They need to do some serious renovations and remodeling on the 8th. They need to expand their airport. They need to build new places of residence. They need to build new new hotels. They ended up building a new city. They built a new metro transportation system. A tournament of this size requires a lot of infrastructure. They say, it's estimated, that it took over $200 billion to build this in the country of Qatar. And that level of construction, it needs work. You need people to come in and actually do the work. So they brought in migrant workers from places like India and Pakistan, Nepal, Sri Lanka, Kenya, and other places. And the reports that they have coming in from these workers started raising some some serious human rights violations where the workers were reporting that they weren't being given enough water. This is in, in places where the summertime it gets to about 130 degrees. They were, being, um, they were being given food, but it was rotten food at times, so this is not good for the system. In some instances, they were saying that when they arrived in the country, their passports were taken away until they negotiated their contract. They were given substandard places to live in, just intolerable living conditions. It's estimated. It's estimated that over the course of the 12 years of this construction, that over 6,500 workers died. 6,500 workers died. One, one, uh, news, one news outpost, one news place said that um, these teams, these players are playing in the game of their dreams in stadiums literally soaked in blood. This is a, a tournament for the world. Something that is supposed to be beautiful, a time of peace and a time of celebration. To recognize the world's game, this beautiful game. But it started in corruption and it just continues in controversy. Well, it's not just soccer either. You know it for your own lives, the brokenness of relationships. We see it across the world with all of the wars that are going on. Where people are being displaced, homeless, millions and millions of refugees. We see it in widespread poverty. We see it in the gang violence in Haiti, the gang violence in Central America. We see it all over the place. We see it even in our own country. We saw it in the mass shootings this past week. Mass shooting at an LGBTQ club back in Colorado. We saw it a couple days ago at a mass shooting in Virginia. It's hatred. Brokenness, selfishness, putting our own needs above the needs of others. 
the place, this world that we are living in, it's, it's dark. It is, it is desperate for hope. We are longing for something different. We are longing for a beautiful picture and a beautiful vision of what could be. Well, the time that Isaiah was living in in our passage, it wasn't great either. Isaiah was living in a time of conflict. He was living in a time of war. Now, this this passage that we, we take out of Scripture, Isaiah 2, verses 1 through 5, just these five verses, these really are an anomaly in these first several chapters. Because in these first several chapters, besides this little piece, that we see, um, really what we see is widespread corruption, where the people of Israel, God's people from Judah and Jerusalem, they are, they are called evildoers. They are called rebels. They are called children of corruption. These people are supposed to be a light to the nations. And instead what they're doing is they are, they are participating in the darkness. They are spreading the darkness and they are spreading the corruption. Now you wouldn't know it. You wouldn't know it from looking at their outside appearance or their outside image. Because they were still doing what they were supposed to do uh, according to the cultic uh, regulations and traditions. They were still going to the temple and offering their sacrifices. They were still abiding by the calendar of the Hebrew festivals where they'd come to Jerusalem and worship. And they were still offering their prayers to God at the temple. Not going to church wasn't their problem. But as the Lord sees it, As the Lord sees it, their problem is that they are not taking care of the fatherless. That's the orphans. They're not taking care of the widow and the stranger. No, what they're doing is they are elevating their own needs. We read that they are accepting bribes. We read that they are more concerned about their gold and their silver. They are more concerned about their horses and their chariots. They are more concerned about their wealth and their needs than they are of the, about the Lord and what the Lord wants, how the Lord wants them to, to elevate the brokenhearted, to elevate those people that are weak and needy and the most vulnerable. Well, the Lord sees this. And so he threatens to bring destruction upon his people. These, again, remember, these are the people that are supposed to be shining the light for the world. The nation of Israel, they are supposed to be a light on a hill so that everybody might know how good and how great their God is. But the Lord threatens destruction. So there are enemy tanks at the border. The nation of Assyria, the nation of Babylon, whatever, however you want to read the timing of this. They are ready to wage war against God's people. It has been foretold that they will come and destroy God's people because they have turned away from God. And when the threat of war comes, fear starts rising. Fear of economic insecurity, fear of death for yourself, fear of death for your family members, fear of losing your property, fear of being kicked out of your land. This is what's going on in Isaiah's time. This is the the situation that Isaiah is speaking into, a time of brokenness, a time when people are longing. And it is into this brokenness, it is into this situation that the Lord brings a word of hope. 
The Lord speaks to his people through the prophet Isaiah, and he speaks his word, and his word brings hope. It's a vision that is given to Isaiah of what God will do. And what will God do? What will God do? We see it in this vision. We see that God is going to be elevated. The chief mountain, this is where the Lord's temple will be. This means that the Lord is going to be held in the highest regard and the highest esteem. That the nations surrounding Israel will recognize that this is the one true God. Or these nations that have turned away from him, these nations that worship other gods, will recognize that this is the God to follow. And what God will do, God will change their hearts. God will open up their eyes so that they might see that he is the one true God. And like moths being drawn to a bright light, the nations will be drawn in to the Lord. And they will come. And they will stream in from every nation. Just a river of people coming into this place, coming into Jerusalem, coming in uh, to the Zion, where the temple of the Lord is. They're going to converge on this city, not to overtake it, They're going to converge on this city because they are seeking out the Lord. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord so that we may know his way, so we may receive instruction from him. God is changing their hearts so that they might seek him. These are people that, these are nations that have been rebelling. These are nations that have been living opposed to God's ways. These are nations that have been seeking wealth and power by any means necessary. These are nations that have been trampling on the vulnerable. And yet now their hearts have been changed and they say, come, let us seek out the Lord. Let us go to this place so that we might learn the ways of the Lord. Why? Not just to know it in their head, but so that they might live out his way. So that they may walk in his paths. Actually put it into practice. God is elevating himself. God is turning the hearts of the nations to himself. They are coming to receive instruction. Their hearts are changed and they leave as people who bring peace now. Now they go back into their places, into their communities. Their conflicts have been settled by the Lord. Their hearts have been changed. And now they go back as people of peace. And so they disband their armies. They no longer school in the art of war. They shut down these schools that were used to train soldiers. They withdraw the tanks. They withdraw the armies from their borders. And they take their weapons. They lay down their weapons and they actually turn them. They convert them. Weapons that used to be used to take lives, these swords and spears, well, they're now, they're now shaped and now they're fashioned into farming instruments. These tools that are used to cultivate, to grow life and to sustain life. Well, this is the beautiful picture that we're given in the book of Isaiah, this, this picture of hope. This picture of peace where the Lord will bring about a mighty change of heart among the nations. Where people will stream to him and they will go back out into their places where they're living and they will be people of peace and people of flourishing. 
God's word brings hope. Uh, You may be sitting there thinking, maybe we're thinking, yeah, words are cheap though. Do you see this mess that I am living in, we're thinking? Is there actually something that can turn this around? Or are we so far gone that this hope, that this promise is no longer relevant for us? Well, people of God, be assured that when God makes a promise, that he sticks to it. That if God says that something is going to happen, that if God says that there is a future of peace, that there is a future of hope for us, you better believe 100% sure that this is going to happen. And we see God's, God's promise of hope for the future beginning to take shape as this word is no longer a word, as this word becomes a person, as this word becomes real to us in the person of Jesus Christ. See, Advent, Advent is a time to look back and to remember. It's a time to remember how God himself came and he he blew open this divide between humanity and divinity, where God himself came and dwelt among us as a cooing, crying infant laid in a trough. Well, this was God beginning to work out his promise amongst us. Because this baby, God himself, Emmanuel, God with us, he grows up to be a man. He grows up to be a man and he takes action because he lives the perfect life. He lives the life that Israel is supposed to live. He lives the the life that we were supposed to live and he is killed for it. He is crucified. This man is laid in a tomb and on the third day, he is given life back to him. He is resurrected from the dead and he ascends into heaven. This word has become a person. And this person has put into action God's plan, God's promise for hope and for a future. Advent is the time where we look back and we remember how God has come, how God has entered into our mess in order to set things right. But it's not just a time to look back. No, this is a time to look forward. Because as the story goes, this man who is now in heaven, who is ascended at the highest place, seated at the right hand of the Father, will come again. And his reason for coming is to bring complete fulfillment of this promise. He is coming again to set everything right, where he will put down violence and evil once and for all where the nations truly will stream to him because he is that light. Well, nations will, will learn his ways. Their hearts will be transformed. And they will be sent out in peace. They will be sent out changed. Their longings will be satisfied. No longer will they look elsewhere for their longings. They will look to Jesus Christ and he will give them a peace and they will take this peace. Advent is a time to look forward to this when God will do all these things. But it's also a time for us to prepare. It's a time for us to ready ourselves, not just for the first coming, not just to remember the first coming, 
but to ready ourselves for this second coming where we are called to live today as if this promise has actually been fulfilled. Where we become the people who live out this promise before a hurting world. Well, Isaiah says, at the very end of this, at the very end of this grand vision, he says, Come, house of Jacob, come, let us live in the light of the Lord. He's saying, Church of God, church, come. Let us live in the light of the Lord. Let us live now as if those promises are true. Let us live now as this is the future that God destines for us. This is the call to live as his people now. To be people of peace. To lay down our weapons to lay down our harsh words, to lay down our resentments. Well, this is the time now by God's strength to live not for ourselves. This is the time when we seek the welfare of our enemy. This is the time when we seek the welfare of the vulnerable, where we live for people that are weak. This is the time when we bring peace as God's people because we ourselves have been changed. We have already been drawn to that light. We have already been drawn to Christ. He has already spoken his peace over us. He has already spoken his love over us. We come to him as unlovable people and he says, I have given my life for you. He has changed us. He has given us his grace. He has given us his love. And this produces peace within us, peace by which we go out into the world and we live his promised future today. So brothers and sisters of Midland Reformed Church, come, come let us live in the light of the Lord. Come let us live as light before a hurt and broken world needing to see hope. Come. Amen. Well, let's pray. Lord, we are about to sing the words, in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. As we glimpsed hope in Christ's first coming to us as a babe, we long for his return as a conquering king, as a king who brings peace and light to our darkness. Well, even now, O Lord, teach us to walk in your light today. Strengthen us by the power of your Holy Spirit to seek justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with you. May the people around us in this Advent season get a strong taste of the future that you promised to bring about. And we ask all this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the coming King. Amen.